Hi, and welcome to the Fourth Universalist service video. My name is Ember Kelly. I'm the Director of Religious Education here at Fourth Universalist, and thank you so much for joining us. What follows is the video and audio from our service on April 11th, featuring guest minister, Reverend Emily DeTarbert of the Unitarian Church of Staten Island, and it was centered around the theme of grounded hope. In this video, you'll hear the reading and the reflection, Following that, we hope that you will join myself and Reverend Emily for a lively discussion where we go deeper into the service themes together. You're invited to check out our video and audio podcast each week. It's posted on our website, Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, as well as your favorite podcast streaming sites. If you like what you see, we hope that you will give us a positive review, the likes, the comments, the shares, and the subscribings. They do help spread Fourth Universalist Media further. Thank you again for watching, and we turn to our reading. reading today is from excerpts from After the Good News, Progressive Faith Beyond Optimism by Nancy McDonald Ladd. Just because we are honest does not mean we cannot be hopeful. Hope, after all, is not just another version of optimism. Optimism tells a preordained narrative. It is an assertion that the scales have already been ripped toward triumph. Optimism is always busy absolving somebody. Hope is different. Like faith, hope is the exact opposite of certainty. It does not presume an outcome for good or ill. It lies in the waiting moment when the tug from both directions is not yet fully resolved and when a great many things are still possible. It moves in the humble spaces that open when we allow ourselves to be uncertain and thus not fully self-contained. It is the possibility, though not the inevitability, of a better way. Hope does not require ease. It does not require naivete. It is real, tangible, and enduring. Ever after the good news has all been declared, even when the authentic stories of our lives do not have fairy tale happy endings, happy beginnings, middles, or ends. Good morning, everyone. Thank you for that reading, Erin. When I was a teenager, somewhere in my diary growing up as Unitarian Universalist, I wrote this phrase. I believe in people the way some people believe in God. I think that was a pretty good summation of my humanist theist roots of my love of Channing and James Luther Adams. When I look back on my childhood and being third generation UU, I consider myself an old school Unitarian. Like I enjoyed Emerson's poetry as a kid, old school. <laughs> And the heart of my faith rested like a cornerstone on our first principle about that inherent worth and dignity. 
I believed in the shared humanity and our call to live with love for each other, a belief in people. Well, this past year, that belief has been tested. Watching this pandemic show so starkly and so clearly the layers and levels of systemic injustice, racism, economic devastation and oppression that so clearly disregard human life. They've really made me grapple with what I mean when I say I believe in people. And it's been hard to have hope. But also it's given me an opportunity to grapple with what hope really is and therefore to come with a deeper understanding about what our Unitarian Universalist faith can offer us when it comes to hope. So I'd like to invite you on a journey with me of my own process of reclamation and the redefinition of a Unitarian Universalist perspective on hope. Because in the end, truly coming to terms with what we mean when we say hope, gives us the strength to face the future with faith, no matter what may happen next. My questions about just what our faith means by hope is actually a few years old. I think ever since I started ministry itself, honestly. And I'm not alone. In fact, most of this sermon is inspired by and filled with quotes from Reverend Nancy McDonald Ladd, whose book, Quote, after the good news, progressive faith beyond opposite optimism grapples with these same questions. When I think about my childhood Unitarian Universalist self, my teenage years, I think about this untapped, unlimited potential and promise. I think about this horizon of limitless human potential to create with our hands justice and equity and the beloved community here on earth. I was wrapped up in possibility and excited to see what the future generations of humans would do. This was from the perspective of a young cisgender white girl in suburbia, mostly yet unaware of the economic, racial, and social forces in the wider world around her. I had this ultimate hope for change, that better was coming, especially when I think about my, my first official presidential vote being for the Obama presidency. This kind of notion that America was progressing. And to be honest, I wasn't the only one. In the book, A House for Hope, The Promise of Progressive Religion for the 21st Century, Rebecca Ann Parker and John Barron's writing in the height of Obama's presidency, this book came out around 2010. This is how they introduced the book, quote, Hope is rising. The political tide in the United States has turned and many are hoping for progress on issues like global warming, healthcare, marriage equality, and international conflict. Please do not mistake me. Their book goes deeply into the realms of injustice and grief. They have a deep theological demonstration of hope, but this is how the book begins. It begins with this sense of progress, this destination we would assuredly get to. And this has been an element of our Unitarian Universalist faith throughout our history. 
James Friedman Clark, for example, in his Five Points for New Theology in 1886, which would later become an affirmation of the Unitarian denomination, writes about the belief in, quote, the progress of humankind onward and upward forever. This would become something that Unitarians would say week after week as a belief. And it would integrate into later theologies, whether from the social gospel movement of the Unitarian Universalists, or even when we think about the humanists and their own mission to bring out superstition into a real sense of human community, there's this understanding of this progressing, this better and brighter to come. It rested on notions of transcendentalist and later humanist interpretations of self-culture, this need to continue to grow and change and evolve for in individual and community growth. And it influences our own denomination's understanding of hope and promise today. I think Nancy McDonald Ladd puts it very succinctly in her book. She says, quote, we are so utterly and damnably sure of ourselves. So as I think back to this foundation I was given as a growing up UU of the sense of progress, what happens for those who believe in progress when progress doesn't happen? When there is no arrival, when there's no proof, tangible perfection is proof that human beings did good. What happens when white supremacy once again becomes very obvious when we see within our own denominations, histories of racial injustice and white supremacy structures? What happens when humanity, for all intents and purposes, continues to return to cycles of oppression and power and destruction? Where does our hope go next? Feminist writer and theologian Sharon Walsh talks about this in her book, The Ethic of Risk. She reflects specifically on her feminist activism and a trend she notices specifically among white middle-class women in the feminist movement. She highlights this dilemma, quote, the dilemma facing middle-class activities is worthy of special attention. The temptation of cynicism and despair, once revolutionary favor, or youthful idealism is shaken by the intransigence of systems of oppression. I think that quote sums it all up. Sharon was speaking specifically in her movement of feminism of noticing white middle-class women given to despair once they kind of really reckoned with the wealth of oppressions that feminism includes in it, specifically when we think about intersectional feminism. And while Sharon Welsh has this commentary on activism, I cannot help but make the parallels with faith. I'll speak in I statements for clarity. For myself, if my faith rests specifically in justice work and in the promise of humanity's progress, in this sense of progression, what happens when I sit with the full scope of human hubris, of our arrogance, greed, and oppression, what happens when I face my own complicity in systems of supremacy? Despair is awfully tempting. 
but hope is not the same as optimism. And I realized that as a teenager, I mistook hope for optimism. This past year of the pandemic, optimism for humanity, for me, just simply didn't hold up. There was something about the way that this pandemic cut so clearly across all of the lines of oppression, unearthed for very plain view, just how unsustainable things like our economy and our systems of racism and oppression are, the ways we treat immigrants in our country, all of it became all too obvious. I knew that I had to evolve past the sense of progress in my faith. And in light of these overwhelming forces, for me, optimism really didn't have a chance. But hope, real grounded hope, ended up thriving. As we heard in the reading, Aaron said from Nancy McDonald Ladd, optimism tells a preordained narrative. Hope moves in humble spaces. It is the possibility, though not the inevitability, of a better way. Rebecca Solnit also writes on this in her book, Hope in the Dark. She writes, and I quote, hope locates itself in the premises that we don't know what will happen. And in the spaciousness of that uncertainty is room to act. Hope is an embrace of the unknown and the unknowable, an alternative to the certainty of both optimists and pessimists. It is the belief that what we do matters, even though how and when it will matter and who and what it will impact are not things we can know beforehand. The power of hope, therefore, lies in the uncertainty it embraces. Because with that uncertainty, hope has the ability to hold paradox, to hold complex truths. Where optimism needs a sense of perfectionism, a certain perspective about human progress, hope needs realism. Hope needs a confrontation with the truth of injustice, pain, and grief. Grief is an important part of hope and one that doesn't often get talked about. As Glenn Thomas Rideout once said, our hope can only be as deep as our lament. And Dr. Glenn Thomas Rideout was not the first one to say this. Nancy McDonald Ladd uplifts Duke professor Joseph Winters, a Black liberation theologian, who talks about this different kind of hope. As he says, quote, this melancholic hope in opposition to triumphant, overconfident narratives and tropes and images suggests that a better, less pernicious world depends partly on our heightened capacity to remember, to contemplate and be unsettled by race inflicted violence and suffering. Our hope can only be as deep as our lament. 
those of marginalized identities, those liberation theologians, writers, activists, artists, they've long known this truth, known that there's no arrival point. They've known that and been well aware of the depth of injustice and oppression in our nation. But that's never stopped anyone's ability to cultivate hope because hope does not rest on certainty. It does not rest on this assuredness of this progress. In fact, hope itself does not even necessarily rest in human hands. Hope emerges when embracing the fullness of grief, lament, sorrow, embracing uncertainty. Our Unitarian Universalist faith has this thread of real grounded hope in our history too, as Ember shared in the story of how the chalice became our symbol. In the work of the Unitarian Service Committee in the height of World War II, there was no certainty about the work they were doing. There was no certainty that these refugees would be able to safely emigrate out of Germany. There was no true way for the Sharps to know if the fruit of their labors would ever secure human lives. There was much to be hopeless about, and they could have easily fallen into despair, and yet they kept in the work. They faced the true reality, the depth of the hardship of the power and oppression they were facing. They lamented the loss of life, and they chose to carry the chalice symbol anyway. To enter into that space of uncertainty, to lift up their work and the fruits of their labor to that which is much larger than themselves, that which is outside of their power, control, or understanding. That's what hope looks like. And so as I sit with all of this learning, I'm re educating what I mean when I say I believe in people. To believe in people is not to cherry pick the data. It's not to say that I'll just think about or look for the helpers or just, you know, put off to the side or ignore the devastation of greed, malice, violence, injustice, oppression, or power. It's not a selective glass half full perspective. If I truly want to embrace a call I deeply feel to our shared humanity, I must confront our human ability towards destruction, towards complicity and greed. I must grieve for the ways I see other people and myself miss the mark of our highest aspirations. I must lament the people I've seen who've died, the depth of human hubris and arrogance, because it's in so facing that I can embrace that paradox, that uncertainty, and therefore that possibility. To believe in people is to say that along with all of what we've faced, there still lies a breath of love within our bones that can heal and hold us, that can carry us towards a future we dream of, a future that is not promised, a future that is not certain, but one that is always and ever possible. To believe in people is to harvest grounded, real hope. I am so excited to get to sit down today with our 
special guest, Reverend Emily Dutar-Burt. Reverend Emily, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you. It's a pleasure. It's really a pleasure to be with Fourth Universalist. Yes, uh, and uh, what a message. I saw in the chat box that uh, it seemed to resonate with others as much as it really resonated with me. Um, I think it was, you know, the perfect message as we're at this very strange uh, moment with the, the feeling like there's this light approaching at the end of the COVID tunnel, uh, but it still feels far away at the same time. So I think a lot of us are, are really grappling with hope right now. And I am too. I, I, I don't exactly know how to feel or how to even think about planning as we go forward, what's okay with, you know, being fully vaccinated. It, it really is, you know, holding on to the paradox of all these feelings and, and this tension of, of what comes next. Yes. And, you know, I think that it was great that you differentiated hope from optimism that, uh, yes, sure, it's good to have these positive attitudes that, you know, that does help on things, but that, that hope is so much more um, because optimism can get defeated by the challenge, especially after this last year, but that, that hope, uh, as you said, holds this, holds, is able to hold paradox, that, that hope can exist in these times of huge uncertainty. And I mean, that's, that's definitely, at least on my side, been the experience of this last year for, for you is, you know, Definitely been a lot of uncertainty. Yes. Uh, just, well, I mean, the uncertainty of this pandemic, I feel like every, everyone has felt it, it, it's a human global experience that we have. But also, as I mentioned in the sermon, um, as what happens in times like these, when there's a global experience, the, it's as if a whole unveiling has happened where you can just so clearly see across lines the levels and intersections of injustice. Uh, this pandemic has affected people of color and Black people in America more than anyone else, and deaths in numbers and groves. We've seen economic disparity in a way we've never seen before, while billionaires kept getting billionaires, <laughs> kept becoming richer and richer, right? So there's a way that when you're sitting with the a moment like this of such uncertainty, when you're sitting with so much of this injustice and intersectionality, it's easy if you're optimistic to become defeated, but hope can hold that tension. Hope can hold and really confront, it actually needs to confront the full reality of what's happening for us to understand the uncertainty of the future and therefore the possibility of what we can do to change things for the future. Ooh, definitely, definitely. And, you know, with this change for the future, you talked about how, especially as, when you were younger, that you know, your, your big motto was that you believed in the people. And I think that, that hope grounds itself in believing in, in people, that, it, that you know, hope is about believing that uh, we will overcome this because we're working together, because of our, our shared common humanity versus just uh, a sense of inevitability. Yeah. I also just wanna uplift again, um, I mean, I, I uplifted it then to this sense of, you know, my own intersectional identities as a cisgender white woman that I grew up in a way that, you know, in suburbia in the middle of Ohio, 
I wasn't really aware of the full stretch of racial injustice or economic disparity. And I kind of had this contagious sense, especially since my first major election was the Obama presidency of like, oh yes, look at this progress we're making, isn't it great? Uh, and not really aware that this sense of inevitability around progress is a real, actually, whoa, a white and white supremacist notion of like, everything's gonna be fine, we're gonna make it to the next level, it's gonna be great, instead of actually just having the space to really let yourself lament and grieve the realities of injustice, because it's in that space, it's in that space where hope can really thrive and where you can be grounded in the work and action of, of justice work in the world. When I think for uh, the Obama election was also my first, I paid attention to a lot of the other ones, but you know, I, I remember I, I got into discussions, uh, dare say Facebook arguments back in the early days of Facebook um, when I posted about like Obama's candidacy because everybody's like, ah, like, there's no way he's going to beat Hillary. And I was the firm believer in the message of hope. But I think that, that that also meant that I was perhaps all the more disenchanted when I felt like we got through years and years and years. And I'm like, okay, well, this big thing's going to start making more progress. It's going to start feeling better. And instead was, you know, seeing the birth of uh, the Black Lives Matter movement and saw things like uh, the uh, Dakota Access Pipeline protest and all of this happening when when Obama's president, it was really this awakening about like, what what exactly is my hope grounded in? Is it just inevitable that we're all going to get better? And I think it's great that you named that as like a, a white supremacist way of thinking, because I think it's also tied to like colonialism and the way that, that you know, the um, the white settlers of the United States thought that they were bringing progress, they were bringing the future, they were bringing real civilization. And we still kind of have this idea that we just need to, to bring progress to the rest of the world. Uh, and, you know, I think that that's uh, definitely not um, a healthy way to, to think about progress. Um, and I think um, one of the things that came to me as, as, as you were sharing your reflection was as somebody who grew up evangelical Christian, like this whole inevitable sense of progress feels a lot like the inevitable rapture and in end times that's coming. Do you think that that's a, a fair connection? Yes. I mean, I think what's Unitarian Universalism has, a, has is where we are now, you know, a, a faith movement, a religion that has atheists and humanists and people who are seeking or questioning and people of all faiths. But our past, our, both our Unitarian and our Universalist denominations are based in American Christianity. It's based in these legacies. And, and you can go back to some of our former theologians and you really can see these colonialist notions of, you know, we have the ideas, we have the ideals, we have the culture that needs to change the world towards better and grander things. So we have, we share a thread with that kind of Christian thinking, even, even now, even if when, even when you look at early humanists and the and some of the ideas that were coming out then yes god might have been removed but this the sense of the ultimate end of of the world going towards this progress upwards and onwards forever is certainly an ethos that's part of our religious movement so we have to confront that and unpack that today and what does it mean if we really want to be for the liberation of all we have some unpacking to do with some of that history mm -hmm. 
most definitely, most definitely. And, you know, the, uh, as, as somebody who grew up reading those, those left behind books and thought that the world was imminently doomed, you know, we can discuss climate change. That's, that's a different message, <laughs> but uh, you know, there, it, it was all this set in stone things that there was no agency, that there was no um, action that we could do that would change things. Whereas you talked a lot about how hope is this humble thing rooted in action that like we can join together in hope to make this difference instead of just, you know, whether, whether we're thinking that the world's going to end horribly in the evangelical Christian way or the, the more progressive uh, way of, ah, everything's getting completely better and we're, we're getting more and more perfect and more and more civilized. But what is better is living in that, that middle where we're just uh, holding the hope. I think what you're naming here is, is two things. Uh, yes. Hope like resting in action and in what you're doing now. And I think that also means the vision of hope changes from like the future to what is happening in this moment right now, because we're uncertain of the future. We don't know what's going to happen, you know, a day, two days, 10 years from now, we can only know about what's happening with us now in this moment and what we can do. And hope is Rebecca Solnit writes from um, hope in the dark is about the unknowable. It's about holding that we do something uh, without knowing who and how it will impact people without knowing uh, what may occur, right? And and the same for the the book that most of the sermon is based off, After the Good News by Nancy McDonald Ladd, right? Who, who goes through and is like, it's the sense of certainty at the end of things that can that can help us get into places of complicity, that can help us to not actually sit with what needs to happen now in ways that will create hope in the real world. Um, when we focus on the now and what we can do and what our role is in the world, we're actually living in ways that are hopeful. And as you talked about complicity, I think this is a maybe a, a final direction to, to take things in here is, you know, we, um, as, as you know, acknowledging my privilege of growing up uh, middle class and white uh, in, in Wisconsin, uh, and you talked about uh, that in, in your reflection as well, acknowledging uh, the privilege of where you come, came from, is that we, we often in this optimism of the future and that everything's getting better, it, it makes us complicit because we're not willing to, to confront what might need to change in our own lives if we're going to, to make that. I think as, as not just in terms of being middle-class, but also in terms of being white, that we, we're not willing to see that, you know, real change and real hope can be found when we are willing to renounce our privilege, but not everybody is quite willing to do that. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm actually lifting up the wisdom of Sharon Welch, who wrote the uh, book A Feminist Ethic of, of Risk. Uh, and I did that in, in the sermon as well. But, but basically what she noticed in the feminist movement, and this was, I think this is as relevant today as it was when she wrote this book, um, was that when, uh, when particularly white middle class women were arguing for equal pay at work and, and noticed that it was taking longer to get there, but then looked around and saw that actually feminism impacts all of life, especially for those of intersectional identities like black women, people of color who are women, um, 
those who are trans women or gender group like like the the levels of injustice are very vast that what ended up happening is for for some middle class white fem- cisgender feminists who were able to get a raise they kind of just stopped being being part of the fight they stopped being part of the fight and they ended up going into cynicism and despair being like there's nothing i can do it's powerless it's too much right whereas she looked at specifically black feminists or womanists or theologians who are people of color they never gave up the fight they kept fighting they knew that there was no way that they would necessarily win they just kept in the work so what where's the tension happening and that's what i'm i'm making the parallels between that and what i noticed in my sense of this progress kind of faith as myself being a white cisgender uh, person who grew up middle class and and, and privileged that I had the sense of like, oh yeah, of course we're gonna make it. And then when we didn't make it, I noticed this temptation to just, you know, stop to, you know, it's easy to just let it go, to be like, oh, throw up our hands. We don't have any power over this. Hope actually says you can hold both. You can own your power and also feel powerless. You can feel the despair of lament and also do something about it. Uh, And that's what I, I notice a call to cultivate for myself at least, in my faith as a Unitarian Universalist, especially when it comes to the ways I hope to renounce my privilege and live in ways that serve the liberation of everyone, not just myself. I can't think of a better place to have that call to action be kind of our, our final thought there. That seems like a, a great way for our listeners to, to leave this message motivated to, to think about how they can embrace that hope by uh, you know, thinking about their privilege and not being wallowing in despair. So Reverend Emily, thank you so much for, for sitting down with me today. Thank you so much, Ember. This was a joy and and a privilege <laughs> to be with Fourth Universalist. And I loved the community and the discussion and just everything that Fourth U stands for in New York City. Many blessings be with you. Thank you, as always, to all of our listeners. Mm-hmm.